morning. I'm really glad that you guys are here today. Um, at the start of the message, and it's in your worship guide this morning, if you picked up one of those when you were coming in today, uh, there's, there's message notes. It's kind of a staple here. Like we put these, this outline in there for you to kind of follow along. If you're a fill-in-the-blank person, you love that, unless it happens to be a Sunday that I forget to tell you the word that goes in that blank, and then in those moments you hate that. But you can write down, jot as many notes as you like this morning. It tells you kind of an outline of the passages of Scripture that we're going. You've already heard that we're in the middle of a study on Ruth. Last week we covered Ruth chapter 1, and this week we're diving into Ruth chapter 2. At the start of your outline today, I put this, this quote from a, a Donald Miller book um, from a million, time, a million Miles in a Thousand Years, What I Learned While Editing My Life. And do you not wish that there was an edit button for your life? There are so many moments when like, you compose a tweet and then you realize that you spelled a word wrong. Well, you could delete it and do it again. Now, it may take you a second because you got to sit there and type all the letters again. Or like Instagram, and you do this post and you realize, oh, typo. Or you do it and then you realize, not as funny as I thought it was going to be. Like, let's delete it and edit it. You can't necessarily do that with your life. But he puts this, he writes this down. He says, if the point of life is the same as the point of a story, the point of life is character transformation. He goes on to say, if I got any comfort as I set out on my first story, he means a writer and he's great, it was that in nearly every story, the protagonist is transformed. He's a jerk at the beginning and nice at the end, a coward at the beginning and brave at the end. Uh, if the character doesn't change, the story hasn't happened yet. And if story is derived from real life, if story is just a condensed version of life itself, then that means life may be designed to change us so that we evolve from one kind of person to another. And that's certainly the picture of what we see in the gospel, this goal that our lives will be changed. Last week, I told you guys right at the beginning of this message that I had just begun showing my kids Star Wars. And I know that there are lots of theories out there about how you should show your kids Star Wars. We started with episode four, A New Hope. Well, in one weekend flat, we ended up watching four, five together. And then this weekend, we watched um, episode six, The Return of the Jedi. Now, having only seen it as a kid, because I'm not one of those Star Wars freaks that just sees them all the time and that reads all the, like, the, the, the stuff that's going on and like, goes into all the backstory and understands the whole Star Wars, you know, it's just movies that I've seen. I had forgotten that Darth Vader looks a little bit creepy when they take the mask off. And we got to that moment where it was like, he's literally being transformed. Like even a character like Darth Vader is somehow going to be a, a tiny little sliver of redemption at the very end. And he tells Luke Skywalker to take off the mask so that he can look at him. And I'm sitting there with my um, 12-year-old girl and my 10-year-old girl and my six-year-old boy. And I'm thinking, oh, I forgot. This is about to look real creepy. It's nine o'clock at night. They're about to go to bed. I hope that we make it through the evening, but we showed it. It was fine. It was wonderful. Even Darth Vader gets a little tiny bit of transformation, a little bit of redemption along the way. And we look at this story as an ongoing story. It's not weird at all to start with episode four, even though there's episodes one, two, and three, because even though last week we began with Ruth chapter one, we are far into the middle of the story because this whole narrative is not just about some girl named Ruth. This whole narrative is about the story of Israel and what God is doing for a redeemed people. So picking it up with Ruth and looking at her specific life, we very much jumped into the middle of an ongoing story. And if we pay attention to the characters... Like, if we'll really dive into each one, 
into mother-in-law Naomi. Last week we saw Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, kind of go away. But if we dive into this mother-in-law named Naomi and this daughter-in-law named Ruth and into the new character that we'll encounter this week in chapter 2, we are going to see bits of transformation. And what my hope and my prayer is, is that through their bits of transformation, through their bits of moving story, through their evolution of one type of person into the next, we can also glean some truths about what we want to do in life and who we want to be in life and what we want to understand to be true about our own stories because they better be stories of transformation. May the great God of this universe never leave us alone to the degree that we stay the same. But may he always be working and moving and and changing us from the inside out. And when he does it, we know that the long-term goal is conformity into the image of his son Jesus so that somehow tomorrow I might look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. And so that somehow later on in life when I hit this new deck like the 50s or something, not the 1950s but my own personal 50s, but that somehow 50-year-old Nick looks more like Christ than 40-year-old Nick did. And oh, let's just hope and pray that 40-year-old Nick looks a whole lot different than 20-year-old Nick. Because there's been bits of transformation along the way. God moving in my life and changing me more into who he wants me to be. We pick up our story in Ruth chapter 2. In Ruth chapter 1, Elimelech, this guy uh, in Bethlehem, figures out that there's a famine. Just kind of a recap of the story. And and in light of that famine, he's going to take his family, which involved uh, Naomi, his wife, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, and he's going to move them to a town called Moab. The problem with that is that God had told his people for generations not to have any dealings with the people of Moab. Don't let them come to you. You don't go to them. And he moves his family right smack dab in the middle of it and lives there for more than a decade. He doesn't just pass through and go to the grocery store and buy some food. He literally stays there. Well, Malon and Kilion grow up and they take wives, these Moabite women. So now not only are we living in the town of the Moabites, we're actually marrying into the Moabite family. So Ruth and Orpah become come their daughter-in-laws, well, then the problem starts to strike. Elimelech dies. Malon and Kilion die. And, and Naomi is left with these two daughters-in-law. And then she gets word, like, like Instagram posts. She saw it on there. Somebody's got a big banquet table. And so it's time to go back to Bethlehem because they have food now. So we want to go home. And so she begins on the journey. And her daughters-in-law follow her along. But then she starts to tell them, girls, just go home. Like, there's no way. Just go home. Like, you go back to your parents. You go back. You find another husband. Like, there's, you just need to go. And, and Ruth refuses. She makes an all-out commitment, this big declaration, the verse that we know from Ruth, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. May the Lord do anything bad to me if I ever separate myself. She makes a commitment to stay with her mother-in-law. And then at the end of chapter one, we find out that there is a barley harvest. This people that have been famished now have food. And that's where we pick up in chapter two. It says in verse one, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. There's that extra character that we're going to go through today. And it says in verse two, and Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, like we're getting reminders over and over and over again. And the Bible makes it very clear. They don't want us to forget for a second. The author wants to make it known over and over again that this girl is not Jewish. 
She is not one of God's chosen people. Her family didn't march out of Egypt free and slaves, and they're not going to be there anymore. Like, this is a Moabite woman, and we're reminded that over and over. She is not one of us. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. If you kind of hang on to that understanding, these people are going through the barley harvest. There's this idea of picking up grain and taking it with you, because then you have to take it to like a threshing floor, and then you apparently have to be it, and then like the, the, the chaff falls away, which is the bad wheat, and the, the regular wheat stays together, like the wheat that you're going to cook and bake into flours and cakes and like bread that you can eat, like that all stays together. And so that's the whole process of, I don't know, being a farmer. And so when certain types of wheat fall along the sides, that's when peasants and foreigners and poor people can come along behind you and pick up what they need. And so Ruth has this idea, I'll just go be one of those peasants. I'll just go be one of those foreigners. I'll just go be one of those poor people and pick up the leftovers because it won't just be chaff that falls away. There'll be some wheat in there too. She's asking her mother-in-law's permission, elder rule, I get. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. All right, stop a second because I'm freaking out in this moment. I'm looking, and Ruth the Moabite She may just be a Moabite. Like scripture wants to remind us, yes, she is a Moabite. But Naomi didn't look at her like that anymore. She said, my daughter. My daughter, go ahead. So she, being Ruth, went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters as it turned out, dun, 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 coincidence, here we go at the end of the episode, there's a big surprise. She was working in a field belonging to Boaz who we're introduced to in verse 1 of the story, who was from the clan. That just means the family line. He is a relative, maybe a cousin, maybe a nephew, maybe like a second something removed down the line of Elimelech. And so we get this fellow named Boaz. And we understand from Scripture that he's a landowner, and that just means he's wealthy. And we know from the end of chapter 1 that this is barley harvest, and the harvesters are out there gleaning some of the wheat, which that means he's also busy. So we've got a wealthy, busy landowner who comes on the scene, and in the moment he sees Ruth, this woman who's walking behind the harvesters in the field, he, he catches one of his servants, and he says, hey, wait a minute, who that girl? And he finds out who she is and begins to invite her to come and glean. Whatever she needs, he wants to take care of her. And she's grateful. So in verse 10, it says, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She's grateful. Hey, listen, he said, you just come behind my harvesters and you can glean, stay behind the women. I instructed the men not to harm you or to take advantage of you or to mess with you in any way. You just go behind them. The women will take care of you and you're going to leave. And at verse 10, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner. Another reminder, she's not one of us. Verse 11, Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done from your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Ruth is just like, wait a minute, this guy's really nice. Let me just say, may I continue to find favor in your eyes? She's like, can I come back tomorrow and glean some more? And he's like, oh yeah, you come back and glean. And then Boaz begins to give his, his people instructions. Hey, you leave a little extra out for her. And he reminds her again, you stay with the women. He reminds the men, hey, you don't mess with her because apparently in that culture, men sometimes mess with women. 
not too different than it is today. So Ruth wants to make sure that she's protected. Well, then he invites her to dinner, and she allows her to take bread and dip it in vinegar, which is apparently a delicacy, and also a symbol for you got plenty. And then as a part of the feast, he allows her to eat like this whole bread cake with grain. And the Bible says she gets to eat as much as she wants to where there was some left over. Girl got, it was like Golden Corral buffet. All you can eat, Ruth, whatever you want. That reminds me of a date that I took my wife Susan on. We married for almost 19 years. It'll be 19 years this summer. And um, you think I'm young? No, I'm just kidding. So like we got married uh, 19 years ago. And I remember like early on, you know, being like young, newlywed couple, kind of poor and, you know, trying to figure out dates. And I was just like, hey, let's go out this Friday night. We both get home from work or whatever. And then we'll go see a movie. And I checked the movie times and movie times were kind of early, which meant we were going to have to eat an earlier dinner. And we show up and I was like, hey, we'll just go here. It's Golden Corral. Like I ate there as a kid. That was great. She was like, you're, you're literally taking me to Golden Corral at 5 o'clock on a Friday night. Like, we're going to be the youngest people there by 60 years. Like, what's going on? And I was like, well, it's going to be good food, and we can have as much as we want. So you went to the Golden Corral, then we saw a movie, and that's apparently not a classy day. Didn't make that mistake again. But in Boaz's case, an all-you-can-eat situation is really, really good. In verse 18, he gave her whatever she had left over so that she could take it home. In verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. And then Ruth the Moabite, let's not forget who she is, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. I get to go back tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. This whole season, I get to stay there. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, again, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Let's keep those boundaries together. Let's make sure that you're safe because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So in verse 23, Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law. Naomi's moving in the story. And if you read chapter 1, you, you kind of begin to understand where she's moving in the story. She is a woman who is in pain. Psalm 125, 5 and 6 says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Her transformation, it's in your notes, is one of perspective. Like her perspective is shifting. She's changing from a woman who is in bitter mourning to, to finding a glimmer of hope. In chapter 1, verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She tells everybody, call me Mara, which means bitter. Naomi, that name means pleasant. I'm not going to be called Naomi anymore. I am a bitter, destitute, poor, sad, there is no hope left for me woman. You can call me Mara. I don't have anything. And to be fair, she wasn't completely empty. She wasn't completely alone. She may have lost her husband. She may have lost her sons, but she still had her daughter-in-law. Yeah, that word empty, it, it, it's the Hebrew word rake, and it literally means void or worthless. So even in this circumstance, she had a daughter. She had a daughter-in-law 
it was still no consequence to everything that she had lost. You know, part of what she lost was a little bit of dignity and an ability to walk back into Bethlehem proud of who she was on the arm of her husband with two strapping sons in tow who had taken wives from good families. Instead, she goes back, no husband, no sons, and a girl who was not one of them. She's empty and she's bitter and she's in mourning. But we see that change. In read chapter 1, verse 11. She's like, girls, why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who can be your husbands? She literally says, there is no hope for you from me. And she explains, like, even if I go back now, and even if I was at marrying age, and even if I did get married and get pregnant and have more baby boys, are you going to wait for them to grow up so that they can marry you? They had this strange custom. It's in the Bible. Like, if you died, then your younger brother had to take your wife. Strange, I know, but that's what they did. And because there were no more sons left from Naomi and Elimelech, Ruth and Orpah were destitute. That's why she instructed them, go home. Just go back to your family. Leave this family. Go to that one, and maybe you can find another husband in the future. But with me, there's no hope. I'm not going to give you another son. She went from a woman who was mourning and bitter and thinking there was nothing to the end of chapter 2 saying, hey, that guy is our close relative, verse 20. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Maybe there is somebody who can help. Maybe there is somebody who can offer hope. This desperate Mara, she sees a glimmer of God's kindness. And when it's God's kindness on display, what we have to know is that a little goes a long way. Maybe you need some sort of glimmer of hope. And you're out there looking for like the boatload of God's kindness, like the overwhelming, like miracle of God's kindness. Well, let's not forget that he gave us that in Jesus who died on the cross so that we might have a right relationship with God. And what we might be missing in the process is the glimmer of God's kindness, just the just the the moment of God's kindness, just the just the peace, just the the understanding that God did something kind for me today. Just a a picture of God's kindness through an encouraging word from a friend, through a relationship that you're in, through an opportunity that you're afforded. Like we're looking for the magical mirrors and the cloud riding in the sky. God's offering us these little moments of kindness throughout the day. And those little moments of kindness throughout the day can go a very, very long way. What we need to be reminded from this passage is that there's there is hope. We're not alone. We can say, oh, I'm so alone. We can say, oh, I have nothing. We can say, oh, I have no one. But the truth is, is that there is someone and that there is a piece of hope that we can cling to. And that's ultimately what we want this campus to be. Just as an aside, as we turn a year old, what we want to continue transforming ourselves to be and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to transform in us to be it is a picture of that hope to this community. So that by some interaction with the people who attend this campus, by some interaction with the people who are a part of this church, by by some recollection of who we are in this neighborhood, right in this city, right attached to this campus, that people might be able to say, I really didn't feel like I had a place and a purpose and a hope and a community. But then God gave me Chris. Or Ben. or, Or Liddell. Or Linda. And all of a sudden, I realized that God's being kind. 
there is a hope. There is something that I can cling to. The transformation that Naomi went through in the story is from bitter mourning to a glimmer of hope because she saw a piece of God's kindness and and, and that's what we want for the people that are all around us. That's what we want for you. If you find yourself in that situation where you feel mourning, where you feel hopeless, we want you to see the glimmer of kindness that can come from being a part of a community of faith to where your perspective shifts too. And you start to see that there really is a good God who is kind and loves you and has a place for you here. And there's people who can love you too. Then we get to Ruth. Where's her transformation? Where's she moving in the story? Her transformation is all about the plot. Not just a perspective shift of like where her mindset is going, but like she moves the plot forward. She moves from a verbal declaration in chapter one to motivated action in chapter two. In Ruth chapter one, she gives this grandiose, like, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to stay where you stay. I'm going to live where you live. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. And she says in verse 17 of chapter one, may the Lord deal with me. And what she means is, may the Lord strike me. May lightning strike me dead. Whoa, that's a crazy sentence. Be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She tells Naomi, I am with you forever. And that's exciting. And we say that verse at weddings. And we hope that that's true of the married couple. But you know what? Those are just words. For better or worse, sickness and health. Richer or poorer, as long as we both shall live, no matter what happens, come what may, till death parts us. Those are just words. And at some point, whether it's the marriage, whether it's the family, whether it's the relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to transition those words into those everyday motivated actions. Sometimes it's time to quit talking said everyone ever, and actually start living it out. Ruth moves from this 117 declaration into Ruth chapter 2 to put it into practice. She says, all right, we're here. We're in your town. I said I was going to stick by you. How about I go to the field and pick up leftover grain so that I can take care of you? She wants to follow through She wants to give her all. That psalm we read, Psalm 125, 5 and 6, those who go out weeping, carrying the seeds. Kelly Minter says in her Bible study that I've been doing all about Ruth. She's heading to the Amazon right now, probably stuck in the Miami airport on a really long layover, waiting till they can board and go to uh, Manaus. But in here she says, it's not the weeping that brings the harvest, but the sowing. At some point, the weeping has to stop or the weeping has to subside long enough for you to get out there in the field and do the work. And sometimes we fail to take note of who Ruth is in this story because Naomi's not the only one who lost her husband. Ruth did too. So it stands to reason that she's done her fair share of mourning, her fair share of crying, her fair share of hopeless feelings that I don't know how I'm going to go on in life. She could have been bitter Mara too. But just like scripture says, they that mourn will be comforted. Jesus said that. We got to be reminded that weeping alone doesn't bring the harvest that we need got to get out there. I'm about to rhyme. Sounds weird. And, and sow the seed. 
And so she gets to work. And I, I know God brought you here. If you're here today for like the hundredth time or you're here today for um, the very first time, I believe with all my heart that God brought you here for a reason. And that that reason is to be part of the harvest. Like we can say, like small is the new big, old is the new new. That's a weird sentence, but, but it is. Like it's great. Like it doesn't matter if you've been here um, like 80 years your whole life or you came here last year because we were going to merge together and be this new church in the city or if you just came because you heard about it or you came because it's close and you can walk here from your dorm. doesn't matter like why you're here. Only that you're here. And if you are here, it's because God wants to take your words of commitment to him and put them into action. This is a place where we're going to roll up our sleeves and get to work in a harvest. Because there are people who need to know that there is hope in this gospel. Sidebar about the life of Ruth, reputation matters. There is so much character from this unlikely Moabite girl. Chapter 2, verse 7, she looks at the, 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 the harvesters and she says, Please let me glean and gather among the slaves behind the harvesters. No presumption. No entitlement. No, it's my right. I deserve this. Let me go by and get the leftovers that I need. Like, that's a whole different sermon on a whole different day about the entitlement that we sometimes feel. But no, she asked humbly. Humbly let me have this. If it's okay, if I find favor, let me have this. And then she goes out into the field. The report that those workers take to Boaz is that she worked from morning until evening, except for one short rest in a shelter. She worked hard. She was a humble, hard worker. And that kind of reputation precedes a person. To the point of, in verse 11 of chapter 2, Boaz says, I've I've heard all about you. I've heard the way that you treated your mother-in-law. I've, I've heard the way that you left your own family and you came to a strange place in order to take care of you. Her reputation went ahead of her and her character mattered. We want your individual reputation to matter out in this community. We want our collective corporate as a church reputation to matter out in this community so that when they hear about you, so that when they hear about Rolling Hills, Belmont Heights campus, they hear about a people who are kind. They hear about a people who are passionate. They hear about a people who don't just have a verbal commitment to Jesus, but who put that commitment to action. We want to be a people who stick close to that and who see life chains around us because of that. Ruth, her transformation was to move that plot forward. To not just say the words, but to do something about it. And I do think that in our, in our life, in our day, in our little version of Christianity right here in this little corner of America, sometimes it's time to quit singing and get moving. Sometimes it's time to dust it off and hit the ground running because there's a harvest. Jesus looked at a harvest in his day and age and said, whoa, the fields are white. I don't really understand what that means, but they are white unto harvest. I think that just meant that there was a lot to be harvested. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will bring more workers out into the field. That's what we're praying for here. As much as I pray for people from this community who are far from Jesus, people who are, as much as I ask God to send us the Moabites so that we can receive them, so that we can love them, so that we can introduce them to Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. You're far from Christ and you know it. And you don't know where you land on this picture of belief. We have been praying that you would show up 
so that we could tell you about a God who wants to show you his kindness. As much as I pray for the Moabites to come, I also pray for the workers to get here. And when they do, to be willing to roll up their sleeves so that we can go out into this harvest and so we can see people come to know and understand the kindness that God has for them. In order for that to happen, God's going to change some of our perspectives. In order for that to happen, God's going to put some of us to work. There's a third character today, one that we're introduced to this week, and it's this guy, Boaz. Who, who is he, and what's his role in the story? We'll find out a whole lot more about that next week, because there's a big chapter coming. But it says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, just then, like Naomi and Ruth have had this conversation, like, hey, should, can I go into the fields? And Naomi's like, go, my daughter, get out there in the fields. Maybe someone will show you kindness. It just so happened that she showed up to one of Boaz's fields. It says, then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Let me tell you about this guy named Boaz. He was a God-saturated man. How do I know that one sentence? If you want to know about someone's relationship with God, look at how God infiltrates even the most normal, mundane parts of their life. He showed up for work that morning and greeted people. How many days do you show up for work and greet people? Every day. If you don't show up every day and greet people, then you're probably not a good worker and you're probably going to lose. Like, that's a big scary moment. Like, what are you going to do with that? Like, but he did it with the Lord. The Lord be with you. Like, when the Lord saturates even the most mundane, hey, how you doing moments of life, it's clear that that's a person who's saturated with the love of God. And their response back to him, these basic slaves, these like paupers in the community, these people that depended on, for them to look back and say, and the Lord also be with you, it meant that they loved him, it meant that they respected him, it meant that they had a right relationship with clearly their boss, clearly their master. So you want to know a God-saturated man, somebody that lets even words of life infiltrate every area of their life, even the most mundane parts of it, like a greeting to other people, and then you look at how that person treats people whose station in life is less than theirs. You want to know if God has infiltrated somebody's life? Look at how they treat the least. And Boaz treated the least in his community with dignity and respect and with kindness and with love. And he was going to do that for this girl named Ruth as well. He tells his servants not one but twice, guys, keep your hands off her. Girl, you walk with the women, and they're going to show you what to do. They're going to show you how to glean. They're going to show you how to harvest. They're going to make sure you get enough. Hey, guys, leave a little extra on the side for her. She's Moabite. The chapter reminds us more than once that she is not one of them. And here's this guy named Boaz, a God-saturated man who greets people that are less than him with the Lord's kindness, saying over and over, yeah, I'm going to take care of the least I'm going to take care of the last. That's a God-saturated man. He's a God-saturated man who lived with margin in his life. Leviticus 23 is the prohibition that they're talking about. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. This had long since been Israel's governing law, but it was not always practice. For many of us, generosity is the ideal. 
But it's not the real on the table in our lives. You want to know why? Because we don't have margin. There's no extra on the side because we're living too close to the edges. I don't have time. I don't have resources. I don't have bandwidth. I'm just so busy. The reason we can't lay down our yes, the reason we can't lay down our generosity to others is because we're living too close or worse across the edges of our means in life. Aerosmith says living on the edge, we can't help ourselves. We can't help ourselves from getting too close to the edge and even stepping over to the other side of it. And when we do that, there is no room for extra in anybody's life. And not just the monetary extra that we might be able to give to somebody because we're living outside of our financial means, but what about the, the time currency in our lives? We're, too, we're living too close to the edge. And somebody's going to hear this and somebody's going to say, that's right, I just need more rest. And we do need rest. The Bible says, like, work six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to rest. And it's a prohibition that God had given his people, saying, you need the rest. You need the Sabbath. And sometimes we get that wrong. Like, we get, the reason we get Sabbath wrong is because we get work wrong. I don't think it's the six-day work week that messes up our Sabbath. It's the four-day work week and all the leisure time that we tag on top of it that messes up our Sabbath. Somehow or another, we've got to have some margin in our lives so that we can be good to someone else. So we ask ourselves, where do you need margin in life? You got to cut something or reorient something or revisit something? Is there no room on the sidelines for anybody else to come alongside you? Because you're too busy or you're too overspent or you're too covered up to engage what God might be calling you to engage. The, the, the margin that Boaz offered, the, the room that he had in his life, he offered Ruth protection and provision. But even in the middle of that, he recognized the God of providence in the process. Verse 15 and 16, as she got up, Boaz gave those orders to her, his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. I'm going to give her the protection. You're not going to hurt her. I'm going to give her the provision. Give her that extra. Multiple times he instructed that, but his allegiance is always to the Lord. He said that in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing. It wasn't Boaz's wings she had come to take refuge of in this chapter, at least. It was the wings of the Lord that Ruth needed. It was the, the covering that she needed from God. And the way she was going to get that in this chapter is because Boaz had room on the sidelines. She was going to receive a blessing from God because Boaz left some room on the sidelines. It makes me wonder how many people are sitting over here waiting to receive a blessing from the Lord and they don't get it because I don't have any room on the sidelines of my life. I, I want to be someone who has room on the edges. I want people to see what happens when you have margin in your life, when there's extra for someone else. The story continues with the idea of transformation. We'll pick up in chapter 3 next week. In the middle of what God is doing to, to, to save and to redeem a, a, a people, like to move this ball further down the field so that Israel has a place in the next community and the next community, and, the, and ultimately to give us Jesus, 
we also get to see these tiny little microscopic stories of specific people and how they intersect that journey. And God is transforming lives on the way, not just the lives of the people that he had called and named for himself, the Jews, but even the outside girls and boys who are willing to make a commitment and then to follow through. May we be a people who do that same thing. Today we're going to close out this time of message with almost a a worship-filled response, um, singing some declarations to God about how good He is and who He has called us to be in light of that. And, And my hope and prayer is that you'll kind of go through those characters. Maybe it's the perspective shift that you need today, like God just needs to reorient what you're thinking and how you're feeling so that you see the hope that he has for you, Naomi. Or maybe it's the, hey, I just got to get out of this seat and go do something. I mean, there's plenty of stuff to do around here. There's plenty of ways to engage right here. There's plenty of opportunities to, to serve and to lead and to grow and to be a part of what God's building in this community. Sometimes it's, it, it's a moment in life where we got to stop saying it and start living it. Or maybe it's just that reminder that you got to have some room on the edges so that the people out there have an opportunity to be blessed because of the way that we're living out the life that God has called us to live. I don't know if you're Naomi. I don't know if you're Ruth. I don't know if you're Boaz or any number of the other characters that might have been walking around Bethlehem that day. But what I hope, I hope that all of us have in common is that we see a Lord of kindness and that we know how to respond to that with gratitude and with purpose, with an understanding that he has a vision for our lives and something that he's calling us to. Each of us by name, he's calling. Where are you in the story? And what sort of transformation transformative work does God want to do in you even today Father we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here and the chance that we have not only to declare your value but to go out and be inspired to live out your value in the world Father would you do the transforming work that you want to do in people's lives today for the person who is here feeling like bitter and alone and hurt would you bless For the person who is here who has made a bold declaration of faith to you, would you inspire? Would you call? Would you use? And for the person here who's trying to figure out what it looks like to have space and room and opportunities to be generous and to live a life worthy of the one that you've called them to, may you saturate them with yourself so that they know what it means to live a life that is a blessing to others. We, we pray that for all of us and for this community of us. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask your blessings on this day. Amen.